So, uh, for those of you who are, were around last weekend, we mentioned that Chris Taylor was going to be here today and speaking. Chris is evidently not here. Uh, he has an eye infection, which apparently means he looks unusual and seems was struggling. So we just said, "It's fine, Chris. Come another time." So uh, he is not here. Uh, so I, you got me again, I'm afraid. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to Luke, and we're going to read from chapter 12. It's going to come up on the screen, and. Kind of a little bit of what we're going to talk about today is going to pick up about some of the stuff that Wendy Mann shared with us when she was here for the weekend a few weeks ago. Uh, Particularly the Friday night, she talked about something called Father Filters, where certain experiences from our past have impacted the way we view God negatively and how we process that and deal with that. So um, this passage in Luke 12 mirrors a passage in Matthew 6. It's not exactly the same. And we're going to read the whole thing, and then there's a particular verse I want to pick out and we're going to look at. But this is uh, reading from verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, (laughs) I love that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more would he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father knows. So so your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, I don't know if you kind of know people in your life, I'm sure you do, we all have these people, that you're never entirely sure how they're going to respond at any given moment. You're not quite sure how they feel about you, you're not quite sure how they're going to react, and basically it leaves you feeling a little bit insecure whenever they kind of walk into the room. So I told the church last week, I used to work on a farm when I was growing up for about five or six years. Every summer I worked on a farm. Uh, The farm was run by, had a manager called William. And William would come on Thursdays to come and check out what was going on on the farm. So he wasn't on the farm full time. But every Thursday he would drive his, I think he had a Porsche. He had a very nice car. We would see his car driving kind of down. And a sense of kind of doom would sort of (laughs) descend on all of us who worked there. Because if anything was ever going to break... It always broke on a Thursday, always when William showed up. And and you just never knew quite kind of what kind of mood he was going to be. And sometimes you could tell as soon as he got out of the car, his face looked red. He was like, it was like an angry day. William was not happy. And yeah, he was the guy that I had to explain a number of things that I broke things. And he was the guy I had to speak to on all those occasions. So William, yeah, we all felt a bit nervous around William. And uh, we can feel like that around people, but we can kind of project that often onto our 
image or our expectation of what God is like. You know, is he entirely dependable? Do I know how he's going to react? How does he view me? How does he feel about me when I walk into worship on a Sunday? Is he judging me? Is he angry with me? Is he there wagging a big finger at me? Or is he, is he welcoming me? And that image that we have, that expectation we have of who God is, has a huge, huge impact on how we respond to him. I would say it has a huge impact on how much faith we can put him in, how much freedom we have in our lives, in one sense or another, is related to how we view God and how we think about him. Philip Yancey, who's written a number of books, uh, but wrote famously What's So Amazing About Grace, talks about describing a God who forgives, yes, but reluctantly, after making the penitent squirm. I imagine God as a distant, thundering figure who prefers fear and respect to love. Okay? I suspect that is not unique to him, that that is how he views God. John Piper describes it like this, that we can view God, that God is not the kind of God who really wants to be good to us, that he is not generous and helpful and kind and tender, but he's basically irked with us, ill-disposed and angry. Now, Jesus, in Luke 12 and in Matthew 6, is addressing the issue of anxiety. But actually, underneath the issue of anxiety, he's addressing this very question. Is God who he says he is? Right? And I want particularly to focus on one verse. And we're just going to pull some words out of one verse. And it's verse 32 of Luke 12. And Jesus says all this stuff about anxiety. And then he says this. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. I just want to pull out some words. Because Jesus very specifically uses certain phrases and certain words to try and communicate something to us and to his disciples. And the first thing is this. He says this, opening phrase. Do not be afraid. Jesus, I believe, wants to free us from fear. He wants to get us out from fear. Fear has nothing but a negative impact on our life. Fear drives us. But at the same time, fear holds us back. So you think about money. If we are fearful about money, right? Anxiety, by the way, is a normal experience. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't be teaching into anxiety. But what he wants to teach into is how much of a hold anxiety has on us. Yeah? Anxiety, fully, if you like, fully grown, grows into fear. And fear drives us, and fear also holds us back. So if you're anxious about money... It will tend to drive you potentially into certain approaches to money to have more and more and more. So Jesus talks about a guy who builds bigger and bigger and bigger barns. Why would he build bigger barns? Because he's driven by a fear that he doesn't have enough. He also believes that money is the answer and gives him, will give him all that he wants. Right? He, has a, he, he idolizes money. But it drives us. So it can drive us into careers and into lifestyles and into working patterns which are incredibly unhealthy. And underneath it all is a fear about money. We're fearful that we don't have enough. We're fearful that God won't provide. So it drives us. But at the same time, fear will hold us back. Fear will stop us, when it comes to money, from being generous. We will hoard it all. The guy who builds big and barns, big and bigger barns, wants to have bigger barns so he can keep everything he's got. In fact, he says, 
you know, I will have enough and I can live and take life easy. And that night, Jesus says, you fool. His life is taken from him. The very thing he was trying to secure is the very thing he couldn't keep. And it drives you, but it holds you back. The entire Israelite army, it says, when David shows up to fight Goliath, for 40 days the army have been standing while Goliath comes out and shouts at them. So the whole army are standing. They don't, they don't leave. They don't, they don't go home, but they're just there. They're just locked in position because they're fearful. They can't go forward. They can't go back. And fear drives you, but fear also holds you back. And Jesus, I think, wants us out of fear. Fear is not an unusual experience for a number of us. There will be different, if you like, points of kind of vulnerability for different ones of us. But Jesus wants us out of fear. And he both diagnoses the issue in this passage. And I think he gives us an antidote to the issue, an answer. And I just want to put out some other phrases. So he says, fear not. So Jesus doesn't want you in fear. Whatever that issue is, whether it's about careers, money, our kids, whether we'll ever have kids, whatever that thing is, I don't think it, he wants you gripped by it. He doesn't want it controlling you, holding you, driving you or holding you back. So do not fear. It's just, it comes again and again in the Bible. Pretty much every time the phrase do not fear comes in the Bible is accompanied by I'm with you. So you read through the Bible, do not fear, I'm with you. Do not fear, I'm with you. It just keeps coming. You're not on your own. It's okay. So it says do not fear. And then he says little flock. Now sometimes being compared to sheep is not the ultimate compliment. <laughs> right? Because sheep are generally some of the most stupid animals you know, on the planet. They're not, they're not known for their high... They're not sheepdogs. They're not golden retrievers. They're not, you know, they're not high IQ. They're not dolphins. Okay, some of us love sheep. Some of us like eating sheep, particularly <laughs> lambs, okay? But they're not... They're, so sometimes it doesn't feel like a compliment. But actually, in this phrase, Jesus is saying the phrase little flock because it is a very tender phrase. <coughs> Psalm 95 describes us as we are the people of his pasture the flock under his care. Basically means with a field that he is caring for and cultivating and putting energy into. You know, you're not somehow a sideline. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll get to you at some point. Yeah, I've, oh yeah, I've got to get, you know, and you're the people under his care. The people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So I'm under his care. I'm not outside of his care. It's not somehow I'm removed from his care. It's not that he's disinterested in me. No, no, I'm under his care. He, that doesn't change. So whether I have a good day today or not, whether I got to church or not, whether I'm under his care. Psalm 23, famously, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's a pretty good start. I mean, if we could just live there, that would pretty much radically transform a whole bunch of issues in our lives. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Dallas Willard, who's a, he's sadly not with us anymore, but uh, quite, a, quite a well-known kind of theologian author, once said, for the Christian who understands these things, the universe is a completely safe place to be. You know, I think Jesus wants you to know you're completely safe. Fear tells us you're not safe. Right? In fact, the Bible talks about having an accuser of the brothers. And the accuser 
the devil will tell you you're not safe. Is God really who he says he is? Really? Will God really follow through? Will God really provide? Is that really going to be okay? What he's saying is, you're not safe. And Jesus goes, fear not, little flock. You are under his care. It's a completely safe place to be. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be circumstances that are going to be a bit wild. At times they're going to be very challenging. There will be suffering. There will be storms. It doesn't mean there won't be those things. It will be those things. It just means that even in the midst of those things, in the end, it's going to be all right. Okay. The end of the story, which will be in eternity, not necessarily in our own lives, you'll look back and go, do you know what? It was all right. I was completely safe. I don't know if you've ever had those experiences where you look back at a season in your life where you were very concerned about an issue, whatever that issue was, and you look back five years later, ten years later, and go, why was I so worried about that? You ever had that experience? Why was I so stressed about that situation? You look back and you kind of go, it was fine. It was going to be okay. I wonder if in eternity we'll look back on our life and go, why was I so, why was I so driven or why was I so held back? And can he, will I allow the Holy Spirit to imprint deeply in my heart it's going to be okay fear not little flock you are under his care you are a priority and then he says this your father it is your father's pleasure it's interesting he doesn't refer to God as your king your lord the master all phrases that would have been appropriate to use Jesus goes, I want you to know he's your father. Now, obviously, as we've talked about, Wendy spoke about this a few weeks ago, the image or the experience of our own earthly fathers may or may not be helpful in terms of understanding God as a good father, right? And that is something that needs to be processed, prayed through, talked about. But Jesus is using that phrase very deliberately, that word, You're not somehow an employee or now just a servant. Yeah? It's interesting in the story of the prodigal sons, you know, the younger one, he goes off into kind of crazy living. The older one, he stays home, seems to do all the right stuff, but we discover really is a legalist, right? When the younger one comes back, he's like, I'll just come and be a servant in your house. I know I've blown it. I've totally blown it. I just, and, and the father goes, no, 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 no. Puts a ring on his finger, has a great feast. He says, you don't come back and serve. You're, you're part of the household. You're straight back into the household. It, Jesus says, your father, not your employee or your boss. Not, he is the king and he is the Lord, right? But, Actually, Jesus goes, I want you to understand when you think about how he views you, the primary picture is I want you to think of him viewing you and knowing you as a father. So when you become a Christian, you're not just forgiven. Obviously, New Testament teaches you're adopted. You were estranged. Now you're in the family. You're in. You have a father. He wants to be known as a father. And then beautifully, he says, it is the father's pleasure i don't know what things bring you pleasure okay things i love things like the outdoors i love being in the outdoors i love music i mean sometimes i could just listen to a piece of music it does not have to 
have any, it doesn't have to be Christian music, I can sense God in it. It, doesn't, it can be completely secular, if you know, but just the experience of it just makes me feel like, oh, I can bring, just something about it, it resonates with me, okay? I feel completely, fully present. I love being with our family, I love That's sport, fine. I like food. These things make me smile. Sarah talks about um, I have a surfing smile. Now, not that I surf really, I bodyboard. I try and stand up, but I'm not very good. But I remember a few years ago going bodyboarding with my brother. Do you know what bodyboarding is? You know, when you lie down on a. Yeah, so. And we were in Cornwall, which is in the west of England. I know that you guys know Cornwall a little bit. And uh, they get big, quite big waves off the Atlantic. And me and my brother were out. Sarah, did you come out with us? You were there. I know. I can't remember if you were in the water with us or not. And we were in these waves, which for us were quite big waves. And I remember we caught a couple of big ones. And they were the kind of waves where you think, am I going to live? <laughs> they probably weren't that big. And, you know, if you'd been watching from the beach, you'd have thought, you're totally fine. But in the experience, you're like, <gasps> and I remember us catching these waves. I remember looking across at my brother. And, and Sarah said, you have a surf smile. Like, there's a certain degree of pleasure of, I'm still alive. And we are moving very fast, you know. If you've ever skied, it's a similar kind of experience. Okay, it's amazing. Okay, and it, it, I derive a degree of pleasure. Now it's really interesting because in this passage, Jesus is saying God derives pleasure. I don't know again what your image of of what He's like, but it's interesting. He says, effectively, there are certain things that make God smile. It is your Father's pleasure. One Timothy one eleven, Paul is writing to Timothy and saying. This is the gospel that has been entrusted to me and to you. And he describes it. He says, concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. The glory of the blessed God. That word blessed basically means happy. Yeah? So when you see the word blessed in scripture, quite often it means happy. Yeah? God is happy. Totally, fully contented in all he is and who he is. Yeah? Whereas I don't know if you have that picture of him. But if you have a picture of a God who's happy, who loves you as a father, that will fundamentally change a lot of your anxieties about whether he will be who he says he is. So Sarah and I, many of you know that Sarah and I went through a process a few years ago where we started to think about leaving where we had been for many years in London, wondering about should we move on? For me especially, Sarah was bolder and braver than I was, I think. I, I took longer to get there. But inside of me, one of the questions was, God, can I trust you for this next season? Because this feels safe to some degree. You know, we know where we're at. I know where we are financially. I know where our kids are at. We know lots of people. It just, I know, I know, like I know. It's all down. Now, it's not really all down, but it feels down, that life, Okay. And suddenly when God takes you into a season where it just feels like <laughs> we're just throwing everything up in the air, like, this is not okay, God. Yep, we're going to try some new stuff. I start to feel unsafe. And the question behind the question behind the question is, God, are you, are you who you say you are? Can I trust you? Will you actually provide? Or are we, you know, is this, are we stepping out of something into something like that is totally unsafe? for our kids, for our family, for me, for Sarah. For, it's like, what are you doing? And underneath it is, can I trust you? Are you who you say you are? And we had lots of different prophetic words, lots of sense of guidance, lots of things we were reading and praying about that started to build a sense of 
security and faith in me. If you know, otherwise the kind of faith levels were rising in me that God, you were in this and we could trust you. But I remember um, going through a process of thinking, do you know, one day, and this might sound a little bit morbid, but it's not meant to, I think it's real. One day, you know, life does come to an end. And on that day, I'm gonna have to fully trust the blood of Jesus. Right? I mean, there will be nothing else to cling on to, right? Okay. At that point, I am completely exposed on that day. And at that day, I will have to completely trust the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to have to completely trust God that he is exactly who he says he is. And that he has done exactly what he says he has done. And I remember thinking, what if I'm going to have to fully trust him then? Why don't I try and fully trust him now? Because that day is not that long away, really. And I was like, let's just pull the whole thing early, right? And not wait and look back and go, if only, if only I'd really believed, if only I'd actually thought he was who he said he was. Because if I think like that, and if I think God's speaking to us and God's making it clear, in other words, we're making a step into obedience rather than we're just doing something crazy for the sake of it. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. But if, if we know God's in this and we can step, even though we don't really know quite how it's going to work out, then it's going to be completely safe. Because the universe is a completely safe place to live in when he's your father and you know he's calling you to do something. So Jesus is saying, it's your father's pleasure. It, he derives pleasure from you. And in particular, in this verse, he says, he derives pleasure to give you. He wants to give to you and to me. Remember years ago, Sarah and I used to run a youth group in our church. This is quite a few years ago. And we... <laughs> I don't know if I was very good at uh, running a youth group, but there we go. And can you remember that far back? I can. I'm not that old. And um, we did this one, sun- one Sunday morning where we decided to do something in the community. So we decided we're going to go and wash cars down our street. So we just got all our young people. I was slightly nervous about this because I'm not sure if I could trust all our young people to wash cars without damaging them. I was like, is this going to go badly wrong? Who scratched my car? So anyway, but anyway, we went down our street. We knocked on people's doors on a Sunday morning and we had loads of teenagers and buckets and all that stuff. And uh, we, washed, we offered to wash people's cars for free. And we did. But what was really interesting was most people could not cope with the idea of us doing something for free. People constantly wanted to give us stuff. Can I give you some money? Can I give you some? Can they just couldn't cope. I mean, obviously, I took happily what, no, I didn't. We refused <laughs> to take what they were giving us. But it was a very interesting thing that they simply couldn't cope with something being done for them for free. Because we live in a world where that means I, I owe you. And I, I just don't know if I can, res- I just not, I just, they struggled to receive. Just receive. Jesus is saying, it is your father's pleasure to give to you. And that is the only way you receive the gospel. Okay? You don't earn it. You don't come to some kind of arrangement with God. That, okay, I'll take the first bit free, but then I'll show you by being a very good boy, and I'll pay you back in some way. By Jesus is going, no, it's your father's pleasure to give to you. And one of the reasons why this is so important, not only can we unable to earn our way anyway we're totally incapable all of us Romans 3 23 have fallen short but also receiving undermines the issue of pride which is at the root of all our sin anyway we want to be self-sufficient we want to self-save 
We want to self-justify. We want to earn our way back. Okay? And receiving undermines the issue of pride in our lives because pride is at the root of sin anyway. Adam and Eve sin because they want to do, they want to play God themselves. That's why Jesus keeps banging on about children. Children are remarkably good at receiving with no expectation of paying back at all. I've said to you before, we take our kids out for dinner. At no point have they ever offered to pay. Oh, please, please, no, 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 I can't accept another Coke. No, 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 really, I'm going to, it never happens in our family, never. Okay, I'm glad it never happened. Well, am I glad? I think I'm glad. If we go out for a coffee, sometimes they might offer to pay our older ones, just to give them credit. Okay, if you're listening to this, to our kids, then your mum has just said you do offer to pay for coffee. So, <laughs> I think this, the point still remains, that generally children are very good at receiving. Yes, Thank I you. Agree. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. So, I should have checked that illustration clearly with my wife. I just wanted to, you know, honour our older children. They are generous souls. They are generous souls. <laughs> kids are very good at receiving, though. Yeah. And that's why Jesus keeps talking about it. And Jesus is saying, it's your father's pleasure to give. In other words, the act of giving is not a begrudging thing. Oh, I suppose I better, you know, I suppose I better help Sokinalina. I suppose I better. No, 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 there's something about pleasure because actually in our desire to want to receive him shows something of our dependence upon him. So Psalm 116, John Piper in one of his books talks about Psalm 116. Psalm 116, it talks about, how do I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? And then it says, I lift up the cup of my salvation. And he says, what does that mean? What it means is the way you repay God is by coming and receiving again. <laughs> so you don't repay him. But if you want to try and repay him, the way to repay him is you come and receive again from him. Because if you come again to receive from him, what you're doing every time you receive from him is pointing to how good he is, yeah. right? And he talks about the picture of a mountain stream. How do you bring glory? How do you point to the goodness of a mountain stream? How do you say this mountain stream is phenomenal? How do you do it? Drink. You drink from it, right? How do you bring glory to God? It's not by repaying him. It's by coming and enjoying and receiving from him because every time you receive from him, you are pointing to how good he is. I mean, it's just a phenomenal economy, isn't it? It's like our, our, kind of, our kind of, I can't accept something free mindset goes, no, no, that can't be right. But it's like, no, 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 this is how it works in the kingdom. It is your father's pleasure to give. And actually, as you receive, you are pointing to how good he is at giving. And then lastly, this. In particular, he says, it is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, to be honest, I guess this is probably an entire series on its own. And most of us, I think, myself included, probably have no real idea the scope of what Jesus is trying to say to us when he says, it's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay? Now, if you read through the New Testament, there are some pretty crazy comments attached to this. You know, one day, it says in 1 Corinthians, you're going to judge angels. In Revelation, it says you're going you're to eat from the tree of life in Revelation 2. I mean, there's some pretty significant statements. But I just want to say, I think in broad brushstrokes, what Jesus is saying is, you are going to come into an inheritance where all the longings of your soul will be satisfied. Everything you were made for 
and everything ultimately you desire within you will be fully satisfied with him on that day. But also, something of that day has broken in now. We live in the time that the kingdom has come, in part, but not fully yet. So something of that kingdom life is what we get to experience right now. Jesus says, basically, it's his pleasure to bring you into everything good he has for you. (coughs) Ephesians 2, Paul puts it like this. And God's raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, this is so good, in the coming ages he might show you the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Again, John Piper's comment on that phrase is this. That God has so much goodness and so much grace for you that it's going to take him forever for him to show it all to you. So he has so much goodness for you and so much grace towards you that it will take him literally forever for him to show it to you. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants us out of fear. He doesn't want us driven by it. He doesn't want us held back by it. He wants us out of it. And one of the ways to get out of fear is to start to allow him to change the way you think about who he is. Romans says, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Something about the way we think, the way the things we believe, hugely impacts the way we live our lives. And Jesus wants you out and wants you free. So we're going to pray together, okay? So if you're happy to, why don't we stand? And I think Sock and the guy is going to come back.